How you guys doing? Good. I believe that today is a good day to renew my mind, encourage my soul, align with truth, and walk in faith. I believe if there's ever been a day for that, today is the day. It's a good day that you came to church. I know it's a little getting a little chilly today, so it's it's a good thing that you showed up into uh, the house of the Lord this morning before this weather rolls in. Tonight, you'll probably get to sit in front of a fireplace and watch Disney Plus or whatever it is that you're going to do. Some of you have your Christmas trees up already. <clears throat> Pagans. <clears throat> just kidding. Just kidding. I'm kidding. I want one up, but you won't let me. We are in a series called Because You Asked. And you've asked questions, and I'm trying to approach the questions biblically, um, pushing my opinion out of the way, because at the end of the day, my opinion doesn't really matter. I think I'm a pretty sharp guy. I'm an intelligent philosopher of life. But my opinion won't get you to heaven. My, my opinion won't really even change your life. So if it's found in the Word... We're just going to agree to stick to that. That's the answer that we're going to hold on to. If it's in the word, we are all agreeing to not budge. We're not going to massage the interpretation to fit our own personal preferences or political agendas or our own past and our own history. We're just going to stand on the word together. And we're not going to all like it. That's okay. There's a lot of things in the word that I really detest. But just because I don't like it doesn't mean that God's word isn't sure. And so we're just going to stand on the word. And if the word doesn't speak about a topic that you've asked, I will let you know that it doesn't specifically address that. Then we'll go to principles in the word. Oftentimes we can find the solutions to our questions, you know, not by doing a search in the Bible based on the exact phrase of what you're going through, but looking at principles throughout scripture. That's why daily Bible reading is so important and critical in our walk because the more you read the Word and the consistency of reading the Word, you start to pick up on principles and applications. If I can't find a principle, then I will let you know. I I just don't know. You have the freedom to make whatever choice you want. God hasn't weighed in on the matter. Uh, And then I may give you my opinion because some of these questions I really like and I want to tell you my opinion even though the Bible is not really talking about it so clear. Uh, Today, though, I don't think I have many opinions on the matter because I can't have an opinion if God's word is clear. So check your opinions at the door and let's just understand that God's word is the foundation of our discussion today. I do want to remind you that this Wednesday, it's going to be nice and cool on Wednesday, I think. Uh, We have Awaken November. It's the first Wednesday of November. I want you all to be here at 6.30 to 7.30 is prayer. We're going to have some live worship. We're going to have communion. We're going to pray, maybe maybe some prophetic words, healing. It's a night of miracles. Let's just get that in our our mind. I believe that the Lord is taking us into a season where Wednesday nights are going to be nights of miracles. It's not a thing that we're doing. It's a faith that we're stepping into. All right? So... Bring your sick self. I don't know what Siri was just trying to figure out, but bring your sick self. You know what we've learned over the last three years is if you're sick, stay home. Now, I don't want your fever self all up in my face. I don't. But bring your faith. I remember when I was a little kid and I was sick, I was paralyzed for a day. Mom, Dad, you remember this? I had a pinched nerve. I had an injury at the playground, kindergarten, first grade. I was little. Landed on my feet, pinched a nerve, had back problems ever since. But I fell to the ground and I had to army crawl to the nurse. Can you believe my kindergarten teacher allowed me to army crawl? I, I wish I remembered her name. I choose to forgive in the name of Jesus and release her from all judgment. I army crawled to the nurse. My mom and dad picked me up. They carried me out to the car, took me to the doctor. I got a shot in the back and it was a pinched nerve, whatever. I couldn't walk. I was paralyzed from the waist down. But it resolved itself. No, no big deal. But that was a Wednesday. 
And I remember it was a Wednesday, not because the pain was so traumatic, but because we were in the house of the Lord at 7 p.m. that night. They carried me into church, and I sat on the pew, yes, a pew, and my parents worshiped God, and that's just how we rolled. I really don't even know why I'm talking about that. Oh, yeah, right, right on, right, right. Thank you, baby. So we've learned if we have a little sniffle or a drip from the nose to stay home, and I'm not faulting anyone. I understand the last three years has been very challenging for all of us. But have we lost the faith for the impossible? There was a a time when someone was sick, you brought them to the church house. The Bible says that elders lay hands on them and they shall recover. And when my kids are sick, I I tell them, well, not since COVID now, we have these wonderful tests and make sure they don't have that. But when they say they've got a headache, I was like, wonderful, it's church day. There's no better place to be. There is no better place to be than the house of the Lord. So we're just believing on Wednesdays, the first Wednesday of every month, that we're going to have miracle nights. So we're coming, fasting, praying, ready for God to move 6.30 to 7.30. Now this Wednesday, Stephen, Ayana, 7.30 to 9 is family night. Bring your pumpkin. We're going to have a pumpkin carving contest. No, we're not going to carve ghouls and witchcraft junk. We're just something happy. Do a cross, an empty tomb. An angel, something, make like redeem it. You know what I mean? Redeem the pumpkin carving. And so we're going to have a pumpkin carving contest. Sherry Bro is going to bring a great prize for the winner. And we're also going to have a chili cook-off. So it's going to be cold, perfect night for chili. If you don't cook chili, show up. Somebody will have chili here. I know Miss Lydia had some of my chili, and I was expecting her to say how wonderful it was, but she actually said that hers is better. So we will see Wednesday, dear. (sighs) Also, baptisms are today at 3.30. We're calling it the Polar Plunge. We're moving it from Lake... This is a last-minute decision, so if you're wanting to get baptized, hear hear this. We're moving it from Lake Pflugerville to Sherry Bro's house because she has a heated pool. And so... We're going to, I don't know how warm it'll be by 3.30, but we're going to get in. If not, we'll get in the hot tub. And uh, we'll just, I'll stand outside the hot tub and I'll be like, dunk yourself, dunk yourself in Jesus' name. If you want to get baptized, man, don't delay. Don't put it off. Today is your day. What a moment. We've never baptized anyone in this kind of weather and I just can't freaking wait. So if you want to get baptized, show up. Sherry Bro's house. Sherry Bro's house. If you don't know where that is, find her after service. Sherry waited everyone so they know who you are. Front row. All right, Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, I just, I just sense your presence today. I sense just such a, a feeling of community in the room, like, like it feels after a Thanksgiving dinner when everyone is full and sitting around the table just catching up and talking and loving each other. God, I, I thank you for that feeling that's in the room today. God, I ask that you would help us grow together as a body of believers, that you would help us to grow closer to you. And God, that you would just bring revelation to our hearts today. God, open the eyes of our hearts so that we may perceive all that your word has for us. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say amen. Before you sit down, why don't you fist bump somebody, high five them, give them a hug, pray for them, whatever it is you want to do, then you may be seated. If you're watching online, Brian Suarez, I love you, brother. Glad you're watching. Destiny, Jenny, Corey, Paul, Cheryl. Ramona, so many watching online. So glad that you've joined us today. All right, we are in a series where I'm answering your questions. I want to just... Before I get into question number one, I'm going to do question zero, because I got a question um, about last week that I just want to address and clarify and clear up, okay? Um, By the way, I'm not taking any more questions. If you find a blank sheet around, 
I suppose you could write it in and, and put it at the information desk, and I may be able to get to it, but I have more questions right now than I'm able to answer probably in two months. So I've gotten a ton of wonderful questions. There's a high chance that if you submitted a question, yours won't get answered. Um, I'm going through and, and seeing which, which question is applicable to the most people um, rather than individual questions, but I, I want to get to your question. I wish you had all put your names on it, to be, to be honest with you, because there's some really good questions that I'm not going to get a chance to answer, and I want to answer it, so I could have emailed you. Um, I'm grateful that we have a church that doesn't take advantage of anonymous entries. <laughs> it would be really easy um, to write your criticism or try to teach the pastor something or bring correction to the church house with an anonymous suggestion. But, you know, how we do it here is we don't do anonymous complaints. It's not biblical. When you're upset or offended at the church or leadership, you actually are required to go to them and sit face-to-face and, like, have a, a conversation. So if you submitted a question, and maybe I've not gotten to it, uh, I've been really happy with all the questions, but if you know the motives of your heart were not really in alignment with what God's Word says, how to handle your criticism, please email me. Trey at theexchangechurch.org. I would love to answer your questions, sit down with you, explain any questions that you have. But anonymous submissions, we just don't do that here. We don't try to get our two cents into the pot without any accountability. Um, and I think you guys did a great job, but I'm going to go ahead and pick up on this question. It's from an individual regarding last week that says, regarding salvation for the Jews, Jews, isn't that the point of the tribulation? So if you remember last week, we had a question that said, uh, what was it? How do the Jews encounter Jesus? And we talked about that. How do they get saved? Do they get saved differently than us? Uh, this person says, what about the Jews? Is it part of the tribulation? Now, I wanted, I'm not going to have scripture on the screen because I'm just throwing this in as extra content today. It's not part of my prep work in the sermon. Is that all right? You'll just take notes. If this is of interest to you, you'll just jot down a quick note and you can study it later. Um, the tribulation, many people, at least in my circle, and there's, there's, this is debatable, uh, but many people believe that the tribulation is a seven-year period. And we see in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, that it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. That's the Jews. That's one reason I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, because God doesn't need me here for the seven years. Uh, he's done the work with the church. It's time to get them out of the way. Do you remember when Stephen got stoned? Jesus came for the lost house of the tribe of Israel. He was trying to reach the Jews. But when they stoned Stephen, and Stephen saw Jesus standing on the, at the right hand of the Father, when they stoned Stephen, the attention switches in, in Scripture from the Jews to now the Gentiles. Does that make sense? So uh, many Bible scholars believe that there was a time where it's cut off. We're not talking about the Jews from here to here. Now it's building the church. And that's what you're part of, the church. And if Jews get saved today, they are part of the church because we are in the church age. But there's coming a time where God is going to turn his attention back to the Jews and he just doesn't need the church. Now, some people believe that the church will be here for that seven years, and that's perfectly fine. If you believe that, you're a wonderful believer. I'll see you in heaven. You're going to get there earlier than you think. <laughs> and uh, if not, I'm coming to your house for dinner for seven years. <laughs> no, kidding. Uh, the time of Jacob's trouble, that is actually the purpose of the tribulation. It's not to refine the church. The church has been refined by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. The tribulation saints, people who come to know Jesus during the tribulation, Revelation says that they will have to wash their clothes white. They themselves wash their clothes. They're going through the tribulation as if wheat in the tribulum. Okay, But the church, you and I don't have to wash our clothes white. We are white. You already are. Your clothes are already white because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be removed out of the way at the time of Jacob's trouble. For seven years, I believe seven years, that's debatable. 
Some say 14, some say three and a half, uh, some, there, there are many. You could probably pick a number and there's an idea on that. But I'm not going to go into the seven years, but I believe and I'm fairly confident that it's seven years, the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, like Jeremiah, Jesus describes this time as well. In Matthew 24, verses 5 through 8, he says that there's going to be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. So some people say the tribulation's already happened. Makes no sense. Because the Bible says once that happens, there will never again be distress to the degree that happens in the tribulation. So it couldn't have happened in 70 AD for all my preterist friends out there who are in error. It could not happen in 70 AD because things have happened worse than happened in 70 AD. So that's how we know that the tribulation has not yet happened. And you're not in the tribulation yet, by the way. If you have to ask if you're in it, you're not in it. In the first two seals, first 25% and 30% of the population die from war, plague, famine, and disease. Until two, over 2 billion people die, you're not in the tribulation. That's good news. So salvation for the Jews. Revelation talks about these birth pains that happen more frequently in the time of Jacob's trouble. And Jesus describes them as wars and rumors of wars, um, pestilence, earthquakes, famines. It's the beginning of the birth pains for those of you that have had children or men who have been in the room and passed out during the process. You understand that birth pains come closer and closer and harder and harder and harder. And I believe that's what we are currently building up to. We're currently building up to and how who knows how long we're in this ramp up process but the birth pains that point to the future tribulation will begin to come closer together and harder like birth pains now these birth pains are described in detail in revelation chapter 6 through 12 and one purpose of the tribulation is to bring israel back to the lord that's the primary purpose of the tribulation. We see that in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 22, Hosea chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, Zechariah 12, verse 10, if you want to study that. In fact, I'll read Zechariah 12, 10 through 11 for you. It says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, Jesus on the Final return, when Jesus returns, put foot, puts his foot down on Mount of Olives and there's a huge earthquake. The Bible says the Jews are going to look upon the face whom they crucified. And they will understand that he was the Messiah sent to their ancestors so many generations ago. When they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Hosea 6, 1 through 2 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. Interesting timing. The third day, a day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. It's been approximately 2,000 years since Jesus has been here this says on the third day, which would be year 3000, we're there, on the third day he will revive us, meaning on the third day after 2000 years God is going to restore the Jews and bring them into Jerusalem in the thousand year millennium. Is this making sense or am I just flying too high? Is it all right? Okay, okay, okay. So the Jews will come to Jesus, many of them, a lot of them, most of them, about two-thirds of them are going to die in the tribulation. This is why it is very critical for us to evangelize. We, we don't just assume that it's God's people, so uh, he'll, he'll figure all that out. No, we need to reach the Jews. They serve Yahweh, but they are lost. They serve Yahweh, but they are on their way to hell. 
There's no way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. It's so important that you and I continue to press, continue to witness and evangelize. That's my final answer. Uh, the tribulation is for the Jews. God is trying to win them over. I just, I'm just grateful to be saved on this side of grace. Can I get an amen? All right, let's get to first question. So I've, I've kind of closed that. Uh, if you have any questions on that, feel free to email me. We can discuss that further. I, I love talking about that. But I want to get to the first question. It's a fun question. Let's see what time it is. We've got lots of time. First question is, what are the duties of a man and a woman? Woo! The man will mow the yard when he's told to. The woman will cook when she's not told to. <laughs> Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, next question. <laughs> Oh, man. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. This is a really good block of text. Let's lean in, okay? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let me just, let me stop right there. There's some beauty in here that we don't see. We read the word submission and we are carrying a ton of baggage. But there, it says, as to the Lord, that means there is a different kind of submission that you are called to, a holy submission, a wholeness of submission, a healthy submission, a submission that gives more to you than gives to the other person. You can't outgive God. And so when you submit to him, how much more do we get in return? So when it says, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, Let's not leave out as to the Lord because that's the clarifier that makes that exciting. That's the thing that removes submission from culture's definition and places a holiness on the matter. All right, let's press on. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands, Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. By the way, just underline without spot or wrinkle. That's not a call to your holiness. It's, it's a declaration of God's victoriousness. You are without spot and wrinkle because Jesus is righteous. Not because you've earned it. Not because you've got all your bad habits taken care of. And not because you don't. I'm not suggesting that we don't be transformed. I'm not suggesting that we not look more like Jesus every day. But when you hear, oh, Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. Don't think that's putting more pressure on you. That's a declaration of his wonderfulness. He's covered you. You are without spot. You are without wrinkle. You are, once you have stepped into the moment of salvation, you are ready to be a bride. So let me move on. That, that's just too good to not address. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. There is something profound about 
two becoming one flesh. And it's not just in the physical, it's also in the spiritual. Jesus and you becoming one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Verse 33 is where I really want you to bold, highlight, italicize. And it's, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What is the man supposed to do? What is the wife supposed to do? It's a command. Men, love your wife. That's, that's a command. You know why it's a command? Because it's not natural for men to love. It's natural for men to respect. You see guys playing on the court. We got a connect group playing court. They're making their hoops. Or whatever it is that these men do. But like it's mad respect. After the game, they're high five and it's respect. You go into a work environment, you've got top dog alpha males, whatever that means, and and they're like doing business deals, and, and men know how to meet one another in levels of respect. It's just a matter of respect, right? When men when were disrespected, we feel it. They could say nothing wrong, it could just be a tone, but when we're disrespected, that's kind of fighting words. Do you know what I mean? Men know how to respect. What we don't really know how to do is love. That's why the Bible commands us to love. Women got the love thing down. <laughs> they know how to love. They know, they, they, they just, it, they get it. They, they love things that can't even love them back. They love things like all kinds of things that just take and take and take and take and buying dog food every month, these big old $80 bags. Just, they love them so much. That women know how to love. You're right. Who said that? Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You're right. They know how to love. You know what? The Bible commands them to respect because respect doesn't come natural for them. So when you ask me what is, the, what is the job for a man and for a woman, this is kind of a big deal to me. I, in fact, we have a book out there. I think we have some out there. It's called Love and Respect. It's a wonderful book, um, and it really breaks this down, and it helps men learn to love, and it helps women learn to respect. So let's just talk for a moment about love. What does it mean to love your wife, man? What, what, is that, what does that look like? What does it mean? It means, uh, well, Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Don't be harsh. Be gentle. So love has a sound. It's gentleness. Be present in conversation. Whew, I feel convicted. (laughs) I love you, honey. I'm going to be more present in all the stuff you talk about. Value her opinion on matters. That's what love looks like. When your wife has an opinion, to sit down and listen, hear her out. Don't tell her it's not going to work before she finishes it. Listen to her. Another way to love your wife is bring out the gold. I, I often tell guys, now listen, there is always an anomaly to this. There's always an outlier Okay, so you can find an example of how this is not true. But for the most part, when the wife is unhealthy, I will look at the man and say, it's your job to bring out the gold. If your wife is insecure, it's your job to get her secure. It's your job to make her feel loved, seen, heard, valuable. Does that make sense? That's part of loving, bringing out the gold. Loving is also anticipating her needs and meeting them. Don't wait for her to tell you what the needs are. Just love says, I'm going to look. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stalk you. I'm going to see what your needs are. I'm going to try to meet your needs. I know, I know you love almond milk. And I see it's almost out. I'm going to get you some almond milk before you even ask. I, I see whatever it is that your wife needs. Meet those needs. That's what love looks like. And if you don't know what your wife needs, ask your wife. 
Some of you are feverishly taking notes. Okay, this is going to help. Ask your wife. Husbands, love. Other responsibilities. I created a little graphic if you just want to take a picture. I'm not going to go through all these scriptures, but because you asked about men, here are some responsibilities, biblical responsibilities. We need to love our wife. We need to provide spiritual leadership in our home. Your wife should not be the one making sure the family's up ready for church. As a spiritual leader of your home, you should be setting the tone every morning. Waking. I'm sorry if I'm getting in your business. This is kind of my opinion, okay? So if you, if you do it different, do what works for you. But my opinion of spiritual leadership is you get the kids here. You encourage the wife. You help out. You make it as pain-free as possible. You help them understand God's word. You, you pray with them. Get your kids to do devotions. Like, I know too many moms, my wife included, oftentimes carries the load of making sure devotion happens. But spiritual leadership is the responsibility of the, the man. Come on, guys. Don't leave me up here alone. It's true. It's true. Oh, and by the way, you don't reach a certain level and then become the spiritual leadership leader. It, it has absolutely nothing to do with knowledge. Your wife can know the Bible 10 times better than you, and you're still the spiritual leader. It's about you guiding the course, navigating the ship, encouraging the teammates. That's spiritual leadership. You don't have to have scripture quoted and memorized and know where it's found. That's not about, the enemy wants you to think it's all about head knowledge. Spiritual leadership has nothing to do with head knowledge. It has to do with directions of the heart. So as a spiritual leader, we just guide our home. Can I get that graphic back up? Please. It's also our job to discipline and teach in the home. In fact, it used to be the man's, he was the primary disciplinarian in the home. It's still our job. Even if your wife has more time with the kids, maybe she doesn't work outside of the home, she works inside of the home, whatever it is, maybe she just has you know, more time with them. It is still the man's job to oversee the discipline and the teaching of the kids. It's not the church's job to teach your kids about Jesus. The Blaze Youth is awesome. They do a wonderful job. They're, they're killing it. But it's literally not their job to raise your kids in the house of God. What happens on a Wednesday, what happens in E-Kids should be the icing on the cake. You guys create the cake at home. You're having devotion with your kids. You're growing them in the faith. They're seeing your faith modeled before their eyes. And then you bring up the church and it's just like extra voices echoing what you're already pouring into your kids. Men. It's also our job to protect and provide. I was a stay-at-home dad for a number of years, by the way. When I first got married, my wife made more money than I did. Um, I didn't mind. <laughs> I liked it. But then when I quit working and was watching the kids, I had to... I had to deal with some emotions about not providing for my family. Um, I understand this to mean providing for my family makes sure that there's provision at the table. And if that means that my wife makes more than me and I take a season off work to care for kids because that's the financially wise thing to do, I'm still bringing money to the home. I'm still providing for my family because I'm, I'm working as team. Just as a mother who stays at home while the husband goes and brings the bacon, she is equally providing for the home, just like the man who puts on the suit and tie every single day. It is because of her labor and her devotion that provision is coming into the home. So I don't want to get wrapped up in our mind that, oh, I have to make the most money. I've got to, none of that. But as the man, it is our job to make sure that our home has provision. Uh, and then servant leadership. That is different than spiritual leadership. Servant leadership as a man, this is one of the greatest ways that we can win people for Jesus out in the world. That's by studying what it means to be a servant leader. 
Jesus said those who want to be great will be the least. Those who want to be first will be last. Jesus came to serve, not be served. And so it is our role specifically as men to understand servant leadership. Leadership is not about a top-down model. It is about us supporting everyone that we lead. All right. Let's get to the women. You asked about the role of a man, and is this helping you today? The women are like, please keep talking about the men, please. Nope, we're done. We're going to go to the women now. Wives, respect your man. Respect him. I am married to a very strong woman. Strong in every sense of the way. Physically strong, emotionally strong. She's resilient. She's powerful. And I love that about her. I wouldn't change a thing. Well, I wouldn't change a thing. I might tweak some things. But I wouldn't change it. But as strong as she is, you, you guys know she's strong, right? She puts off this air of like, I'm Carrie. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. She, she's a powerful, she, she's confident. She's bold. Like, I love this woman. She's wonderful. She also doesn't like feminism. As powerful as she is, she believes that feminism has destroyed society. And so you have to step into what it means to be a woman. You can be bold and strong and courageous and out there and, and like really accomplishing things in life and, and still understand God's structure for the family and how you relate in society and God's purpose for your life. There's so much power in just gentle submission. Respect. Respect. Some of you here today are afraid that if you respect your husband, it's going to make you look weak. It's not. You're going to show your strength through that respect. You're going to show the quiet power that is inside of you through that respect. What does respect look like? By the way, I just always have to give this disclaimer. I'm not talking about abusive relationships. If, if you are a man or a woman in an abusive relationship, you are being verbally abused, you are being called names, you are being screamed at, you're hearing doors slam in your face, you are being hit, mistreated, abused, affairs are happening, you need to take care of business. That's not what I'm talking about. We don't gently submit to abuse. Can I get a good amen? Just need to make sure that that's clear. But what is respect? I can't, I can't speak for all men in the room. I won't even attempt to because we're all actually very different. I know you ladies think we're all the same, but we're all very different. Men are very unique, very different. But I think I could probably speak for many of us on the level of respect. Respect, I feel respected when you don't belittle me. I feel respected when you don't talk down to me. I feel respected when you don't act like I'm clueless or I don't see the big picture or I'm not carrying some wisdom. I, I feel respected when you have confidence in my ability. And I tell you what, when Carrie has confidence in my ability, I soar higher. When she comes to me and says she believes that I can do something and I'm nervous as I'll get out and I'm insecure about something, that woman says I could do it. A hundred of you could, could say, Pastor, you got this, you can do it. And I would be so grateful. But she says it and suddenly my chest is out. I'm like, that woman believes in me. That's respect. Women have other responsibilities as well. But respect is a big one. And ladies, respect not just your husband, respect your sons. Dads teach boys how to be a man. Moms teach boys 
what it feels like to be a man. Catch that. As a dad, I can teach my boys how to be a man. But the way my wife responds to them and respects them, shows respect to them, they get to feel what it's like to be a man from mom. So other responsibilities of women. I said respect your husband. Another one in scripture is mentor younger ladies. That's why church attendance is actually valuable. You should be connecting with younger ladies. That's, that's a pivotal point of growth in the life of a female believer. Younger believers should have older believers pouring into them. Another duty of women is pass on your faith. Pass on your faith to your children, to your children's children, to your children's children's children. I mean, how many of us are in church today because of a grandma that prayed? And then interestingly enough, ladies, the Bible's pretty clear for you specifically to avoid gossip and slander. Men don't typically have, some men do, some men, just some men, I get it. They really love to gossip. Most men, though, you got to pry information out of them. Like a good time for dudes hanging out together. Oscar is just like, we just have some sweet tea, watch a game, and like, yeah, cool. Do you know what I mean? Women get together, they don't need any activity but this. And they're talking, they got four conversations going on different times across the table, interjecting. And, uh, and there is a tendency for ladies, some ladies, to gossip and slander. And so the Bible specifically says a responsibility of a godly woman is to avoid that. I only got to two questions today. And that's all right. Maybe I'll extend the series. Next week, I want to talk to you about the Sabbath. There was a wonderful question asked about the Catholic Church changing the Sabbath. And I'm going to clear up that confusion and, and set the record straight for you. I love that topic as well. But I just want to linger here for a moment. Because I don't know if you remember when I started this sermon, I said that I sense, I sense this feeling of family. And I, Do you remember? In, I talked about Thanksgiving, lunch, and just this sense of family. And it just so happens that I'm running out of time now on the heels of family. So Holy Spirit's wanting to do something in the room. Father, in the name of Jesus. My God, I thank you that you are the mender of broken things. Father, I sense, I sense such a deep need in the room for relationships to be restored, to be reconciled. Not only that, for hearts to be healed from loss of relationships. Where you tried to make it work, did everything that you could, and it just, it failed. You didn't. Father, I know that the marriage is a mystery. It is a, a deep, profound mystery that represents somehow the body of Christ in Christ. The, the marriage of the Son of God with the church. And so I know that the enemy is after marriages. He never stops. It doesn't matter if you've been married two weeks, two years, seven years, 70 years. The enemy is consistently after marriage. And so God, right now in the name of Jesus, we just lift our marriage and we set it on the table before you. We set our family on the table before you. Church, right now in this moment, if you just want to set that marriage on the table, that family on the table, that fear on the table, that pain on the table, will you just stand to your feet wherever you are? There's something regarding your home that you just want to set on the table. It doesn't mean that your marriage is headed to divorce. It doesn't mean your marriage is broken. There's just something you, you just want to acknowledge right now that something needs to be sat on the table before the Lord.
believing for reconciliation, believing for restoration. God, let hope be stirred in us again. Some of us aren't standing this morning because we've even lost the hope that it's possible for things to change. We have befriended our circumstance. We have befriended the status quo. God, I ask that you would just move, that a wind would blow through this room today. God, that there would be hope stirred in our hearts in our spirits like never before. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. While you're standing, let's just continue to worship. Let's just sing this. Let's let Holy Spirit do a work in this moment. In this moment of worship, let's let Holy Spirit work. Thank you, Jesus. church. It's intercede for breakthrough. We were brought to this moment for a, a reason and a purpose. Let's intercede. Just take you at your word. Who believe 
that in your presence is breakthrough. Who believe that you are a good, good father. And the things that we, we can't fix, you can. When we can't see a way out, you can provide an open door. When we feel like the world is spinning, you can be our gravity. God, I thank you that in this moment there is breakthrough in the room. I thank you that hope is stirring in the room in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that our families are getting stronger in the name of Jesus. That men are being men, women are being women. And that together we are stepping into the calling, the high calling that you have placed on our life. To be your creation, to be heaven on earth. Be encouraged, no matter where your marriage is at, no matter what kind of rubble you're sifting through, no matter what past you've had, be encouraged because the Lord doesn't need a history of success with you. He just needs your yes today. And so it doesn't matter where you are. Today is a new day. Today is the best day, the first day of the best days of your life. Amen. Can we just celebrate the Lord this morning? Well, we'll hit some more exciting questions next week. Please come back and see us. And also, make sure you get to Sherry's house by 3.30. We're going to have an incredible time pushing people in the cold water. It's baptism, 3.30 p.m. We'd love to see you there. Also, we'll see you this Wednesday at Awaken, 6.30 to 7.30. Family night, bring a pumpkin and bring your chili, Miss Lydia. We'll see you 7.30 to 9. God bless you guys. Take what you received in here and give it to someone out there. We love you.